Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. My name is Trevor Sikama. Here with me is Benjamin Solak. And right now, we are running through the AFC divisions, going through every single team, top to bottom, giving you our thoughts on their draft classes from the 2019 NFL Draft. And today, we are on the last AFC team. If you missed the earlier episodes, we've already been through the AFC East, North, and South. Now we're on to the AFC West, a very exciting division, and we're actually going to start off, Ben, right in Denver with the Denver Broncos. This is a team that had some a lot of early draft action because they were slotted to pick number 10. You wondered, oh, you know, what's LA going to do here, right? He needs a quarterback. He needs to make a statement. He still doesn't have that long-term franchise answer that he promised that he'd give them. Uh, was this going to be a team that's a candidate to trade up? We heard about Kyler Murray maybe falling. That didn't happen. So what about Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke? We'll get to Drew Locke in a little bit. But Denver actually ends up trading down from number 10, going down to number 20. Uh, they end up picking Noah Fan at number 20, which I actually really like to pick. But first, before we get to the actual pick itself, Ben, what did you think of the trade back? What did you think of the maneuvering? What the Broncos got in return? Did you think it was enough? What did, And really, ultimately, like, like, should Denver have been a seller or should they have been a buyer? Like, Should they have been a team that was looking to go up instead of going back? What did you think of the overall move of the Broncos? Uh, yeah, I, I, I personally – thought they didn't get a ton back for 20 I didn't think so either, man. Yeah. A like second, moving from 20 to 10? Yeah, a second to next year's third, I guess, like. I mean, and, here's the, and here's the thing, too. I know that Pittsburgh was moving up for a linebacker, so it's not like they're moving up for a quarterback. Right, but, that's what I was going to say. But Pittsburgh had to pick a linebacker. Like, they had to get Devin Bush. So I, I mean, maybe Pittsburgh just played him really well, and we're like, now nah, we're now nah, we're we don't care. It's fine. We we won't need Devin Bush. When in reality, I feel like Pittsburgh would have been super de- desperate to give a Devin Bush. But I don't know. I, I'm kind of with you there. I I thought that they could have got more out of the deal. I really do. Yeah. So I found that aspect of it a little bit surprising. But if this comes back to what we talked about yesterday, like if you know your draft board and you really think, all right, like we can move back and we're still going to have a shot at one of these top four quarterbacks, which they ended up getting, right? Like that that enables you to make moves like this, right? That's mm-hmm. what that's what brings it into fruition. And that's why, like to me, I look at what we, with what we knew coming into the draft, I don't think anybody thought Drew Locke was falling out of round one. I certainly Dude, did holy not. Holy cow, man. Yeah. What in the world? Right. And so – How did that happen? Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing is, like, we, you know, like, I was very vocal in the lead-up to the draft saying, like, listen, I know we all think it's a bad class, and that's fine, but historically, if you want a first-round quarterback, you have to trade up to go get him. And then nobody traded up, and Drew Locke fell out of the first round, and I was like, I don't know anything. Like, I should just never talk about the draft. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that was such a surprise. A lot of people probably agree with that. Yeah, I mean, like, like that, we've known that for a while. But it's it's the fact that that's just highly irregular. And obviously the Broncos do eventually end up trading up slightly to go get him because the Packers, shout out to, to Kelly when she came on in the podcast, the Packers were trading up to try to go get Drew Locke. They were, they were investigating that, that option. And so the Broncos had to go move up to go get him. They have their guy of the future. But being able to trade back to 20 and get a guy like Noah Fant, who is a top 10 player on my board, obviously I think a big win. So I... I I like the pick. I think they could have gotten a little bit more value for it. 
But the fact that they were still able to secure Drew Locke later in the draft makes that, to me, a, a fantastic move for sure. Yeah, and then, you know, just touching on Noah Fan a little bit at the top, I, I really like this pick. I really like this pick for Denver because, especially with Joe Flacco and with Drew Locke, certainly you're hoping that Fan pays out, pans out in all the ways that you're that, that you envision him panning out. But I see this guy who could really stretch the field and more, more importantly, the middle of the field in a lot of what he does. And I think that that's, you know, when you look at the, the chemistry that, that Drew Locke had with Albert O'K when he was in Mi- Missouri, then you're hoping that, that Fant's going to be budding into his own really in year two and year three when Drew Locke's kind of starting to really get the reins of playing that starting quarterback role. I don't, I mean... I, I wouldn't plan on Drew Locke starting in 2019. I hope that the Broncos don't plan yeah, on that. But certainly like in, like in 2020, 2021, you're really talking about him starting to take the reins and you're hoping that fans really into a groove at that point. So in that sense, when we're looking towards the long term, the potential chemistry of what could be with Fant and Locke, I like the right. idea of pairing that arm with a guy who can stretch the field so vertically up the seam and up the middle like Noah Fink gives him. And so in terms of like the 20 overall pick there, I, I really like it. Did you like the fit? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's important to remember that the new offensive coordinator there for Vic Fangio is Rick Sangarello, which firstly we have to acknowledge is the most Italian-sounding coaching staff <laughs> in the world. Like, you know, like football clubs in, in, in Europe don't even have a handle on this. We got, you know, Ed Donatel, Vic Fangio, and Rich, Rick Sangarello. It's like a mafia. But – Rich Gangarello comes as uh, San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan was quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator there. George Kittle, Noah Fant. I've seen like you know the whole like Fant's going to be the Kittle for the Broncos offense. Like I've seen that floated around. I would pump the brakes on that only because George Kittle set the single season receiving re- yard record for tight ends. So we should probably like be like you know he'll be like a lesser version of George Kittle because it's, it's bold to call a guy George Kittle. But at like what what he shows you is is he's coming from a system who knows how to use good athletes at the tight end position. And Noah Fan is a tremendous athlete at the position. Obviously doesn't bring the blocking ability that a Kittle brings you. Nobody's arguing that. But in terms of how they use Kittle in the passing game on crossing routes off of play action, you have to imagine that Noah Fan's going to be a big part of the offense in that regard because of who the offensive coordinator is. So it's a great fit for him. And I agree with you. I think when you look into the future, you want Fan and Locke to be a big combination, a big duo there. You definitely don't want I don't think they envision Locke starting in year one the only way it happens is if Locke walks into camp and absolutely kicks Flacco's tail which let's be honest is not out of the realm of possibility maybe yeah I guess I mean you could be right there uh Dalton Reiser pick I was a big fan I'm a really big fan and I specifically I feel like I feel like I would have said this no matter what because I like Dalton Reiser a lot but certainly for this Denver team exactly where he could potentially play, whether it be at center, at guard, maybe even tackle, who knows. His versatility, I think, is going to come into play so strong for Denver. Um, it really makes me like that pick. I actually like the Draymond Jones pick as well. The Justin Hollins pick, too. I really like this draft. There were not a lot of picks, but I look at this draft overall, and I said, man, they set themselves up really well for the future. Uh, they attacked the areas of the draft that I thought they needed to get better at. Certainly, sure, like Draymond Jones, you could be like, oh, you know, I wasn't a big fan of his when it was compared to him going in the first round, but him going 71 overall as a as a gap penetrator, as a guy who's going to try to be a... Imagine being a fan of any pick spent on Draymond Jones. Could not be me. I think it's fine, man. I think it's fine as a third-round pick. I really do. Could so I, never be. Do you like Justin Hollins, though, or no? Uh, I mean, like in fifth round, sure. I think that... 
he was a guy who people came on to during the Shrine game, and he has defensive MVP, and people go back to his tape. Used as a, as a jack, right? Used all over the place, did a ton of stuff, has that versatility, has a lot of fun. As a rusher, like we're talking about a guy who wins with quickness but never won on the outside. He only won coming back inside. So I need him to develop an outside rush before I think he can be anything like a true edge rusher. The sub package guy, maybe give you a little bit of blitzing. You know, I think he's going to be a good gap blitzer because of that quickness. So maybe he's like a weird rush linebacker hybrid type for you, probably a special teams guy. Juwan Winfrey getting selected, wide receiver out of Colorado, was really exciting for me because Winfrey's Winfrey's a, 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 this is one of those day three crushes that you get because this dude runs inexplicably good routes for a guy who was like barely targeted. Inexplicably, he says. But like, no, inexplicably in the sense of like, you watch this guy run routes and then you look at his stats and you're like, how? Like, how could somebody be this good at running routes and also just like not be impactful for his team? Right? Even before LaVisca Chenault exploded onto the scene for Colorado, Mm -hmm. when when it was like during the Bryce Bobo Shea Field era, I mean like Winfrey was still (laughs) not getting a significant amount of of touches. Obviously he's a Juco sort of a guy, but he runs Mm -hmm. really, really, really nice routes. Uh, he's a big slot type. He didn't play much big slot, but that's going to be his best role at the NFL level. So he's like a sneaky stick on the roster sort of a guy because I think he could be a much better pro than he was a uh, college player. And let's not forget, Denver did a great job in grabbing a underappreciated college player out of Colorado last year in Philip Lindsay. And so that I think they know Never heard of him. that school and they work hard at that school and they, and they know the players there. And so the fact that they were willing to draft Winfrey to me Tells sure. you a little bit about how highly they think of him. All right, Kansas City's draft, you got to start at the top. And you've got to think that the situation surrounding Tyreek Hill and the uncertainty there of him being on the Chiefs or in the NFL in general, um, with the opening, the, the reopening of kind of his child abuse cases that he was going through and that it was originally said that, okay, he wasn't going to get charged with anything because there wasn't enough evidence to charge anybody. Then these these uh, emergency audio files get released, and it talks about um, him potentially being guilty of, of what was talked about, and then it reopens. So now there's all this talk that, okay, well, the, the Chiefs are kind of like standing by Tyree Kill the whole time, but now it's getting a little bit more awkward to stand by him, especially when now we think that he might go on the commissioner's exempt list. So their first pick of the draft, they take Miko Hartman, the speedster out of Georgia. Did you like that move at the top of the draft? Was there a receiver that maybe, I don't know, off the top of your head that you might have rather picked of him? And do you just do you think in general that it was smart to right off the bat, right off the top of their draft, they address the Tyree Kill piece? Because let's face it, I mean, this is Tyree Kill is a huge part of what the Kansas City Chiefs do. He's a huge part of their right. identity on offense. So can Miko like be, I don't want to say be Tyree Kill because he's you know, he's been so phenomenal. I don't want to put that on any rookie, but like was this the right move going after a speedster and making sure that they, they have an insurance policy, at least for, for Hill's role? Right. I mean, so yeah, you asked me like, you know, is there like, you know, player I would prefer to listen, Miko Harmon's out there running a four, three, three. All right. Like he's an unbelievable speed guy. Now, if there was somebody else who ran a four, three, three, but I don't know, did it at like 30 pounds heavier and had better film. Yeah, exactly. Like I would have like, can you imagine Sammy Watkins and DeKalen in this, in this offense, can you imagine? Just take a second, think about it for a little bit. Feel, One word. let it wash over you. Let's One like, word, imagine. Imagine, baby, imagine it. Um, but no, obviously, like I think that yes, Hardman steps into the Tyreek Hill role. Now, it's important. Like, what do we mean by the Tyreek Hill role? 
Hill obviously is a, is a special on-field talent in terms of what he can do on the field, making people miss. It's the speed, but it's also the instantaneous burst and the suddenness due to deadly with the ball in his hands. Hartman has the speed. Hartman can be the deep threat. He showed that at Georgia. Does he have the same burst? Does he have the same vision? Does he have the same elusiveness with the ball in his hands? I would say no. And so when we talk about playing the Tyreek role, we're talking about being the downfield threat. I don't think Hartman, at this juncture in his career, has the same ball in his hands, you know, uh, getting those screens, getting those weird gadget touches out of the backfield, sort of a of, a, of, a, of an aspect of his game. And he can develop it. When you have the physical ability he does, you certainly can go find it. But it's not something that's there right now. And so they're going to be lacking for that. They do bring in a guy in Darwin Thompson, the running back at Utah State, who I think is worthy of a lot of those gadgety sort of touches. He's another tremendous athlete, and he's a guy who is at his best when he's in space. He's not a great between-the-tackles runner, but he's a good space guy. So I think that's the role they envision for him. That being said, I do like the fact that they immediately went and filled Tyree Hill's role in the draft because it's not like you're drafting for PR purposes, but it shows you very clearly they're planning for life after Hill. Because he'll mm-hmm. not continue to play in the league, and they don't anticipate him playing in the league anymore. And right. It's, it's that simple. Right. The other guys, I actually really like the Juan Thornhill pick because – Don't got to convince me, brother. It allows them to get even more aggressive on defense. And I've talked about this before on this podcast, and I've talked about it before on other podcasts. When you were a team, say like the Rams, say like the Chiefs, right, where you are in the business of scoring points. Heck, yeah. Yeah. Your defensive philosophy should be takeaways. Oh, do whatever, absolutely. Do whatever Preach. you can to get takeaways because one extra possession for Patrick Mahomes should make the difference for you. So you should be doing whatever you can to get takeaways. And that's – and Juan Thornhill with his athletic ability, his ability to play, you know, he's had some corner background, he's got good ball skills, he's got a knack for takeaways – that's the kind of guy that you should be drafting. You should be drafting players who are athletic enough to play on islands or in deep coverage or aggressive in the front seven. Those kinds of players. That's what you need. That's going to be the correct complement to what the Chiefs are doing. And other teams in the league that are also going to follow suit on, on scoring points as their premium and, and, and basing how they win as a team and their identity around that. I thought with him and even with Kalen Saunders, they did a really nice job of uh, picking complementary players for what I think their team's focus is overall in getting speed on the defense and, and getting more turnovers. See, yeah, and like that thing's like, I'll, I'll take it even a step further. Like every team's goal on defense just just be takeaways. Like, well, sure, right. but yeah, yeah. Right, like obviously when you have Mahomes, like let's just get him the football, right? Just get him the, get the ball on offense as many times as you possibly can. I don't dispute that whatsoever. Um, I think in the changing NFL and a changing league, defensive philosophy has to shift to be listen we're just gonna we're 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 we have one job and it's just get the football back for the offense that's what our team needs to do on defense like that's the new priority um so i like phone up because of the ball skills for sure i do wish that they had spent an earlier pick on an actual corner because again we're talking about a team right now that that you know you remember that Patriots game but it was a problem for the entire year they could right. not lock up anybody in man coverage and Correct. so you have Kendall Fuller who was acquired via trade with the Redskins the Alex Smith trade on one side you have Bashad Breland as your other outside guy if Fuller's on the outside if he's in the nickel then the third guy is, is Charvarius Ward undrafted free agent out of middle Tennessee state a fun guy I like him as a developmental guy I didn't want him starting in year one which he did you have Tremont Smith the 
oh, where did he play? Like Alabama A&M or something. It's like a purple and black <laughs> team, right? And Sounds they, about right. Great return man, right? He's your corner four. Like it's just this is not sure. a good situation. So the earliest pick they spent on an actual corner, which Thornhill like can do some nickel stuff for you. But the first pick they spent on actual corner is Brashad Fenton in the sixth round. He's not a very good player. So like we – I we like to me this team has the same issues that they had last year. Like I even with Thornhill, I'm so worried about the secondary and specifically the corners that you're just gonna end up in too many shootouts. And eventually you're gonna lose one of them. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for you. You can't win every shootout. Eventually the ball just doesn't bounce your way. So like that like to me that that really sticks out. Like I, I like the Kalen Saunders pick. I like the one Thornhill pick. I like Meikle. Like all of those picks make sense to me on day two. But it's very tough to overlook the Chiefs' negligence in addressing the corner positions in this draft. I think there's. I think that's a good point. Um, I just don't want to. I don't want to get into the the habit of when we go through this being like, well, they could have had Amani, you know, for like every, every team. But Trevor, even though they could have, but the Chiefs really, really could have had Amani. Uh, we got to go to Oakland because Oakland's got a lot of picks that we got to talk about, and at the very top, Cleveland Farrell. Number four overall, I could not believe it, man. Okay, so here's the thing, man. I even like Cleveland Farrell. I don't even, I don't know where he was on your board, but I like Cleveland Farrell. I think he's a good football player. And I think that he is going to be a good football player. But who in the absolute hell, Mike Mayock, was going to pick Cleveland Farrell (laughs) in the top 10 other than y'all? That's the question. what in the – you got to be kidding me. And you're telling me you couldn't get a trade-up partner for Josh Allen or for Ed Oliver or for uh, Devin White? Are you just picking Devin well, White? Right, I don't just know. Pick, just pick one of those guys. Not Devin White, but pick Ed Oliver. Pick. Sure, you're right. Josh Allen. I mean – But I just could not believe they picked him at four. And you know what? I think – I like Mayock. I do. But – I think a more experienced Mayock, like a Mayock in a couple of years, would not have made this pick. I think that he would have navigated the draft better than this because I really – and again, Cleveland Farrell, good football player. I think they got a good football player that is going to help their team out and it's going to be fine in the long run. But I think they could have gotten way more – out of it yeah um and even perhaps even gotten way more out of it and still drafted Farrell I just cannot look at this and and think that Cleveland Farrell was going to go anywhere in the top 10 and that's that, and that's that's the main thing is like you know you hope and expect that they went through the the phone lines and tried to move back and like even if they couldn't obviously go and get your guy what kills me Trevor is this you remember the report it came out we're like all right Gruden and Mayock have locked themselves in the war room and nobody's allowed in Scouts are going to leak, and they don't want to leak any information, right? Mm-hmm. Little did sure. we know, the big secret they were protecting was that was they were going to draft Cleveland Furl at four, right? Man, you wish that would have come out, so we could have spent more time <laughs> laughing about it. A or B, you could have had somebody call you, like Lewis Riddick, and hit you up. Daniel Jeremiah hey, going to give you a call and be like, Michael, what are you thinking? No, no, My no. Man. You gotta soundboard this. You can't be lock yourself in your room. That's what leads to picks like Cleveland Furl for Jonathan Abram twenty seven. You it was you and Gruden looking at it. That's one smart person looking at it. I won't name who the other one is. And like that's an issue. 
This John Gruden slander is not going to last in this podcast, brother. All right, I'll make sure I keep John, it going down. John Gruden is a Super Bowl champion, and don't you ever, yeah. and I mean ever, forget it. Love to the rest of their draft teams from Tony Dungy. The le- mm, yeah, you know, don't we all? The other first round picks: Josh Jacobs, John Abrams. Let's do Josh Jacobs first. Josh Jacobs was a pretty standard pick to the Oakland Raiders for a long time, uh, just because it made sense. And then obviously Marshawn, the situation with him kind of coming up and, and him probably calling it quits. It, coming up before the draft, it was like, oh, okay, well, they're going to draft Josh Shakespeare. Right. And then obviously I, we didn't know this, but Isaiah Crowell now with the injury is big. So now this Josh Jacobs pick <laughs> looks like a pretty damn good pick. This, this guy's going to be a bell cow, is he not? Yeah, I mean, he's got to be. And I think that Gruden and Mayock, given their predilections, given the way that they've been raised on the game, they were always going to get a bell cow, even if they didn't need one. You know what I mean? Like, I think they want to run the offense through a bell cow because that's the way it's done. You have that one guy, and he's a grinder, and he goes and he fights it out. You know what I mean? That's just their style of, of playing the game. That's their philosophy on team building. You know, debate the the merits of it however much as you want. Like, it's not an endorsement, but it's just the way that you anticipated them doing it. So, yeah, like, when it came to, you know, teams who were going to potentially be drafting a running back in the first round, especially in this class, um, like, to me, yeah, it was the Raiders or bust. Like, it was the only team that I could really see potentially doing it. Yeah, I thought – yeah, I mean, like, I like I, – yeah. I, J- Jacob, this is, this is the only landing spot for him, which, again, kind of makes it weird for me to be like, oh, yeah, let's draft a running back at 24 when we know that really not any other teams are going to draft a running back in the first round. So you probably could have traded back a little bit and you might have got some for him. But, again, it's almost like the same thing as the Cleveland Farrell thing. Yeah. You needed this guy. You want to be a different cultured thing. Now, obviously, it makes a ton of sense as well. Just go get your guy. I guess yeah. it makes sense. I can't be t- again. Like I, I, maybe I would have tried to navigate it a little bit differently if Mayock would have had a little bit more experience under his belt. Maybe he could have, but I can't right. be mad at the pick. There was a- just because you're picking good football players, right. and at the end of the day, that's what it's about. You're acquiring the right football players, and I, I think that's the case with Jacob. Yeah. So, did you read? Uh, did you read Peter King's Football in America the immediately after the draft? No, I did uh, not. So, in it, he had that when the Eagles moved up to twenty-two. Gruden started like throwing a hissy fit a little bit because he was positive the Eagles were moving up to draft Josh Jacobs in front of the Raiders. And he had like locked in on Jacobs. Like Jacobs was going to be one of his guys. Like he loved Josh Jacobs, which to me just kills me because the idea of, of Howie Roseman trading up to draft the running back the is running back. beyond <laughs> laughable, right? It would never happen. Howie would die before he let his team do that. It's just like, you got to know who you're dealing with here. But he was locked in, and then the other player he was locked in on was their third first rounder, Jonathan Abram. I mean, yeah, you, John Abram. Yeah, if you saw the clips of the Raiders' social media, but that which was super cool. Uh, Gruden basically told him, Gruden was like, "I fake your injury during the Senior Bowl game so that teams wouldn't be able to see you anymore, so that I could pick you." And Jonathan Abram was like, "Yeah, that's pretty sick." <laughs> you know, like, what do you say? Like, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that is not allowed. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a little odd. Oh, I do want to touch on uh, some of their late round picks before we move on here. Isaiah Johnson, Foster love Moreau, it, love it. Hunter Renfro, love it. and 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 Quinn Bell, who is probably the most athletic edge rushing freak Dude, I've ever seen Quinn in my Bell, life. Man, um, he's awesome. He's not good at football, but boy, can he run a free code. Y'all gotta watch this, dudes. You y'all gotta go look up this guy's pro day results. It's on. Un- Hold on. You know what, Ben? Buy some time here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Look okay. It up. So 
I'm gonna look it up. Again, if you guys Google. didn't see, Enter- you, entertain if him. You, juggle. If you do something, I'm trying. If you didn't see the Oakland Raiders again, like the social media, I love it when the teams put out stuff on social with the draft picks and behind the scenes and the calls. It makes it super emotional. Gruden called Abram and pretty much told Abram, like, "All right, I got it. You're okay. done." Uh, we. <laughs> <laughs> All right, follow along here at home, kids. Six foot three, two hundred forty pounds. Four three eight forty yard dash, forty one and a half inch healthy, eleven foot four broad. pinnacle of health, twenty three bench press reps, cover of the men's magazine, seven zero nine three cone, won a bodybuilding competition, and a four three one short shuttle. My, he's like God. a superfood smoothie in human form. That is the perfect. That is the perfect way I'll to describe it. I'll never it. forget for the life of me when I was just trolling Twitter one day and those results got retweeted across my timeline. I was like, "Oh look, another small school guys pro day results. I'll open this just to see what they are." And then it like took my brain a little bit to do the math, and I was like, "Mother Hubbard, what is happening?" <laughs> Oh, let's wrap this up with one of my favorite drafts, the Los Angeles Chargers. They ended up coming away with their first two picks, Jerry Tillery, Nasir Adderley. Honestly, could not have been two bigger home runs for me relative to where they were picking. I mean, getting Tillery as the interior pass rusher to complement Ingram and Bosa, I think is phenomenal. And then Adderley to complement uh, to, to compliment Derwin James yeah. on the back end is immediately one of my sa- favorite safety duos in the NFL. I mean, right. those were home run picks, right? Yeah, and it's not even like safety duo. Like this team is going to be putting in the defensive secondary Derwin James, Nasir Adderley, Rayshon Jenkins, Casey Hayward, Desmond King, Trevor Williams – all at the same time, not even counting Kaiser White, who was a college safety who plays like bro. Imagine weeks. Imagine if Verrett. Imagine if Verrett was still on this team opposite Hayward. Right. I mean, he like like and imagine if Verrett was able to still ha- stay healthy even just last year. Right. Like this team has made no, you know, uh, no nonsense about it. They clearly want to come out and they want to run six defensive back packages. They want to be able to survive in doing mm-hmm. that. What do you need? First, you're going to need big boys up front. You need the hog mollies, and they got that in Jerry Tillery. I think Tillery is a plus run defender. He's a good penetration player. And then also, you need great tacklers, guys who are willing to come up and run the alley as your safeties because they're going to be playing your primary overhang, and that's Nasir Adderley. Nasir Adderley is absolutely willing to come up, and he's, I think, a, a relatively consistent tackler, especially for a guy who's not the biggest player. Um, is the linebacker situation solved? Do they have enough? They add Drew Tranquil. They add Amike Boy. I mean, I love the Tranquil pick, though. Yeah. I love the tranquil pick. If he's healthy, he is a major difference maker because of what he can do in coverage from the linebackers. He's an ex safety, and so even their linebackers are safeties. You know what I mean? Like if they're out there starting to Tavis Brown, Kaiser White, and Drew Tranquil at linebacker, which they I acknowledge they have Denzel Perryman right now. I know, like you know Thomas Davis, they added him, but like we're talking about three guys at weak side linebacker who are basically all at least 30% safety in terms of what they are as players. Like there's a ton of hybrids on this defense. It's such an interesting squad. Yeah, no, I did. Did you, I mean, they later in the draft, they ended up taking Easton stick. I think it's kind of fun, kind of funny. Um, Cordes Broughton, and then uh, how do you say, Emike? Uh, Emike, is that how you say his name? 
All right, there you go. I was pretty close to it. I actually really like his film. Um, haven't mastered how to say his name yet, but I actually really like his film. And so, dude, this is one of my favorite drafts. It, it, are is this one of your favorite drafts overall? If you can think off the top of your head, because honestly, if I had to name top three, top five drafts, I mean, I think the Chargers might be in the top three, but yeah, for sure in the top. It was five. a near miss. It was. It got an honorable mention when I, I when I wrote up my top fives, uh, and that's because. Uh, the, the Trey Pipkins pick confounds me. Uh, the Sioux Falls kid, I just I, I didn't. I watched a couple games of his, and I was very clear to me that he was not going to be a top two hundred player on my board. He goes in ninety one, uh, and mm-hmm. then like Drew Tranquil, Jerry Tillery, Amike Buele, they drafted at value for me, and so it's like you know they're not getting the points that like the Titans are for like regularly getting like a little bit of value. Uh, Adderley was the 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 big win pick, and then Cortez Brown is one of my guys. On uh, really really excited to see what Brown's able to bring to them as a hybrid type. Brown's like 6'2", 285, right? And so he's not a perfect three-tech. He's a little bit of like a an outside, you know, three-tech, five-tech sort of a guy. But let's not forget, it's Gus Bradley, defensive coordinator. We've talked about it on previous pods. When you have that Seattle 5'3", you have the room for the big rusher at the five technique. Uh, Seattle 4'3", big rusher at the five technique. That's where you get, like, Brown's penetration ability, his quickness, it's raw, but it's, it's special. Like, you can tell pretty quickly watching his film, guy has special physical traits for due to his size. And so you need to suss that out. But if you can, I mean, to me, landing with Gus Bradley is huge for him. And I expect yep. more from Broughton as far as a year two player than a lot of people saw from his film because of his landing spot, because of what he could potentially do. I think, you know, they've got Brandon Meebane right now as a space gobbler, but I wouldn't be surprised if Broughton starts pushing for pass rush reps early. Or I shouldn't say early, but starting to push for late you know, long and late down reps as the season goes on because of his penetration ability. Yeah, I'm very excited to see what Gus Bradley is going to do with that haul because uh, it's a lot of interesting pieces that could really make you some impact. You ready to risk it all on our Chargers uh, Super Bowl bet once again, Trevor? You know, do not tempt me with a good line. I'll give it to you. Because if I get the right, if I get the right line with the Chargers – I might just fall for it again. Let's do so it, man. It's, it's a team that has a lot of potential. So I, I, I'm always going to be rooting for the Chargers, especially in this current window that they have here, because it's a lot of fun. That is the N, the, the AFC, folks. That is all of the teams in the AFC and all of their draft classes. We went top to bottom this week. So if you missed any of the podcasts, make sure you go back and listen to those. We went through every single team, went through almost every single pick, and kind of judged. Uh, or gave our opinions and judged what we thought of the classes. Didn't give necessarily grades, but you could certainly f- figure out what we thought of a class from from listening to the episodes. Next week, we go through the entire NFC. We're getting through all of those teams. We're going to reflect on the league as a whole, and then we're going to get into some – Ben and I got some things cooking in the next couple of weeks because we got a little bit of time in between when we're getting into 2020, guys, when we're getting into minicamp stuff. We might even be mixing some of those things together. So it's going to be exciting times. Until then, you keep it locked right here. Unlocked on NFL Draft.